The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Today, we are going to dig into a company that's looking to be a serious contributor to materials needed for battery production as we all plug into the great energy transition, Chemex. ASX CMX. Now, I met a couple of the team members at the recent RAU conference in Sydney. Really interesting skill set between them. Lots of experience. And they've created a brand new, well, actually, in fact, what they've done is they've created two unique processing routes to create essential materials that the gigafactories need to build the batteries and the tech that's needed to fuel our future. And They've identified a patch of ground in South Australia, which they've been putting some really serious exploration work into. And as we speak, they're awaiting the maiden resource results. So keep an eye on this team, because if they are as good as predicted, they may have secured the keystone to a really interesting route to supply manganese to the battery industry. So let's explore this innovator's why, what and how. Discover if it sounds like something that you want to be part of. I'm Christina Morrissey. Welcome to Stock Insiders. And our guide to Chemex today is COO. Peter Lee. Peter, welcome. Oh, thanks, Christina. Thanks for having me. Now, I think we should reinforce the fact that Chemex has really only just turned one, haven't you? You've been kicking goals, meeting targets, though, with relative ease. So let's start at the very beginning, even before that listing back in January 2022. What was the game plan? How did Chemex come into being? Yeah, Chemex has really been an interesting uh, journey. And it's a formation of two businesses, as you mentioned. So we've got our Hyperia Illumina and also our high-purity manganese that we're targeting. And so that, that listing in uh, 18th of January 2022 was, was essentially the culmination of those two businesses. And so the common thread there is really a high-purity outcome um, and high-purity battery materials for the world. All right, tell us about that IPO. You, you were literally inundated, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. So we listed for 20 cents, uh, and essentially that was oversubscribed, um, a capital of $8 million. Um, and really, there was there was people who were disappointed that they didn't get in. So from there, you know, we've we've just really um, started to hone out that high purity focus. You know, we've we've built a, a really great team. Our board is fantastic. Um, we're we're very blessed in terms of the strength there. We've got Warwick uh, Hazeldine, Lithium, Mr. Lithium, yes, ex-chairman of Global Lithium, co-founder of Canning's Purple. Um, Tara Berry, ex-Tesla, headhunted by Rivian. Um, she's now the senior group manager for battery materials with Rivian. Alvane Vorster, who's essentially the interim CEO of Hastings Technology Metals. Uh, and, and last but not least, Stephen Struble, uh, ex-broker, um, private equity, uh, who was essentially the, the, um, the visionary for Chemex, um, and he brought the manganese assets. So that's a, that's a pretty strong bench. It, it is a really set of skills and experience between you. Do you think that's what is allowing you to move so swiftly and confidently? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, we've we've literally um, got running from January 2022. Uh, we looked at historical data in the area and we've, we've then done a drill program over a six-kilometre uh, strike. And then in 2023, we really focused on the infill drilling for that program. And this year, we've drilled over 6,000 metres alone. Well, let's let's go to manganese in a moment. I want to start, if I can. Um, you've, obviously, you've got a couple of forward-facing commodities for us to talk about, and all with an increasing demand globally. I'd like to start with the HPA and then move on to the manganese, if that's okay. I'm in charge today. Is that all right with you? Yes, yes. Please. All right, right. Let's start with HPA. I'd like an educational from you first. What is it? What's it used for? Yeah, so high purity alumina or HPA as we refer to it is really, uh, it's really a four nines product. So 
it's 99.99% pure, which really only leaves about 100 ppm of impurities to allow. And so there's, there's really two types um, that, are, that are primarily marketed. The 4N, which is the 99.99, is typically used in battery separators, and it's, it's retailing for about 20,000 US a tonne. The 5N is typically used in synthetic sapphire, um, so iPhone camera lenses, scratch-proof watches, um, semiconductors, micro LEDs, those sorts of things, and that typically retails for around thirty to thirty-five thousand US a ton. Uh, and so, when you look at that in terms of that high purity, high value against what's what's really a great technology in terms of a a globally available luminous chemical feedstock, that that's inexpensive. And so, there's a high margin, high value for uh, the reward for that technology. And Chemex is quite unique in that we actually own that technology as well. Yeah, it's a really unique te- technique. I mean, HBO processing isn't you, but your technique certainly is. What's the? Are you allowed to reveal the point of difference? Uh, we do. We do have a patent that's pending at the moment, but the real difference is is in um, our, our extraction uh, stages. And so. We extract the, the alumina and then we essentially leave the impurities behind and then we precipitate the, the target alumina and then obviously dry and calcine. So it's it's a really unique process and uh, it's partnered with um, Dr. Nicholas Wellm, who was the inventor of, of the process. Um, and it's, it's low energy, it's ambient temperature. Um, so that's a big win when it comes to um, many other projects and, and competing processes. But so, so what what are the profit margins like then with your technique compared to other processes? The profit margins will be pretty good in terms of that that high value. So, you know, for for an input that's probably around a thousand US a ton, and then obviously the capex, the opex, and things like that, you're actually looking at producing about twenty thousand US dollars a ton. Um, so there is a high there is a high margin there, uh, and that's. That's keeping us very excited and very enthused to try forward on that. Tell us about the materials that you've actually built the mechanics of the pilot plant with, and why you've why you've um, enlisted those instead of. Well, you explain it to us, and then explain why. Hmm. So we did a we did a PFS on the pilot plant uh, last year, mid last year, and we announced that to the market. Um, the outcome of that was around a fifty ton per annum plant for around two point five million. And since then, we've gone back to the drawing board. We've taken the learnings from the micro plant. And, and we've really sort of looked at that critically. And so to avoid the metals that we want to avoid in the final product, what we've actually targeted is more plastic, um, more poly-type construction to avoid those metals and that impurity uh, risk. And so with that in mind, we've been able to produce a, a plan and a design for a pilot plant that is 24 tonne per annum. So we've essentially halved it uh, and we've we've quartered the cost. So we're, we're now targeting about 600000 you must make the team and your current shareholders very happy. So, I mean, the plan is to be modular scalable. Uh, and so the small footprint is really what we're targeting. But, um, yeah, the rationalisation, I think, has been well received. Mm. And will you be able to keep up with what you're predicting demand-wise? Yeah, we think so. In terms of the, the real demand at this point for the pilot plan, it's about de-risking and it's about qualifying. Mm. So one of our team, um, the Director of Marketing and, and um, Strategy, David Levy, He's actually in Europe at the moment, who's chatting with the, the sort of um, European markets for sapphire, battery separators, and really it's about producing qualifying samples at this stage. And, and that has to be a very rigorous process to be accepted. How long do you think till that plant is actually up and running at capacity, or is that dependent on actually the moment when you refine this process so you can do the 4N and 5N? Yeah, so we're targeting uh, commencement of that pilot plants in terms of construction in the mid 
half of this year and then obviously commissioning before the end of the year. Will you actually commercialise that technology that you've developed, that process you've developed? Yeah, that's one of the key differentiating factors between, I guess, Chemex, HBI and others. Some of the other competitors are really planted next to key key factories or key producers for the ingredients. Whereas our our method, um, we take that luminous chemical, which is ubiquitous within the water treatment industry. And so we can set up globally. We're going to produce modular scalable units, normally targeting a 1,000 tonne per annum or 2,000 tonne per annum type capacity. And so our our process will be ambient temperature, scalable, modular. So we we signed an MOU with uh, C4V, uh, and those guys produce battery uh, specifications and things like that. And that's true for the manganese, but potentially also the HPA. We can deploy these units globally next to a gigafactory for, for argument's sake. I can hear you itching to talk about manganese, so let's let's move over there. But before we do, just briefly tell us what is it about HPA? What is How does HPA change electric battery or the batteries, etc.? Can you explain that? The, the separator in a battery is very important. It's almost like... Uh, the difference between a high-quality battery and a low-quality battery. And so that, that separator has to be devoid of any mineralisation that would otherwise cause side reactions or problems within the battery. And you really want to be having as pure ingredients as you can. And so that separator is important. Um, we all remember the Samsung Note 7 and these sorts of things. And the separator essentially thermally controls the battery. It allows the ions to flow. It concerns me at the moment, just as a homeowner, as an aside to our investment discussion, when I look at the number of lithium batteries in my house and think how many of them, I mean, I've had them, a lot of them for a while, are sitting there without this protection that the HPA is offering. Every battery will have a separator of some sort and, and really high purity alumina is, is probably the best separator. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a worry, yeah. <laughs> on to the mineral you Actually, I think Chemex is a bit bullish on this one, if you don't mind the observation. Manganese, and this time you're actually having to source it before you can work your magic on it. So how does manganese assist the global energy transition? Yeah, we, we are certainly bullish on it and I think the, the key there is that manganese is a key input to, to the battery and certainly many of the battery chemistry are actually gravitating towards more manganese or even including manganese. And manganese offers you a little bit of energy density but mostly thermal stability um, and and the major factor is reduction cost. So most of the batteries out there, particularly the high-performance batteries, are really like a a nickel, uh, manganese, cobalt. Cobalt has some constraints in terms of supply and is very expensive, nickel as well, whereas manganese is is widely available but just just not utilised. And so battery chemistries are more and more transitioning towards things like lithium manganese iron phosphates or lithium iron phosphates, um, but certainly manganese is becoming more predominant, so we're, we're very bullish on that. And what's the supply like globally for, for HPO? So for the manganese, most of the supply is really in the direct ship or So for argument's sake, most of the Pilbara producers are having like 43 to 44% DSO product. Um, and, and there's a challenge for those guys in terms of bringing in acid, bringing in people, um, building a plant, and then shipping out a manganese sulfate. And the manganese sulfate that they would otherwise ship out would only be about 32% manganese content, the remainder being sulfate and water. And so when you when you look at the, the DSO being 44% manganese, you know, you're really thinking about you know, what you would ship as a manganese unit. So those projects will come down to economics, whereas by comparison, our, our process and our project in the Air Peninsula, we're about an hour and a half from Wyala, um, 
you know, our, our grade is somewhere like 14 to 30%. That location is really different, isn't it? Because most people who follow manganese would expect you to say, oh, they wouldn't bat an eyelid if you mentioned remote far north WA. What got you interested in the potential resource location in SA? Yeah, it's really something that was probably overlooked in the past. I think previous explorers were looking for a high-grade iron or even looking for a direct ship ore on the manganese. But because of that 14 to 30%, it was somewhat overlooked. However, you know, our, our test works show that you can easily upgrade that two and a half to three times through a simple beneficiation process. And that gravity separation can produce a concentrate of around 32%, uh, which will take to Whaler and then build a hydromet plant there. And so it's a very different play for us in, in the backdrop of South Australia. You know, in, in this case, you actually have a lot of sulfuric acid in the Spencer Gulf. Um, you have a skilled workforce, you have a very industrial town. And so we, we think it's a very good play in terms of building a residential workforce um, and, and a high-quality um, plant that can ship manganese sulphate to the world. It's a farming area. What's that been like to operate in? Uh, very good. Um, so we're working with farmers who are probably fourth, fifth-generation farming on the land. It's just somewhat near the goiter line, so it's it's not um, terrific farmland in many senses. However... Marginal farming, yeah. Yeah, have been very receptive and, and very welcoming, and some of them even joke that they want jobs in the, in the beneficiation plant. So they've been a great help to, to the two dual programs that we've had in 2022 and 2023. But how did you actually... I mean, you've identified this, this but why did you choose manganese? Why did it become part of your story? I, I think the, the opportunity was that you know, previous people were looking for a DSO product and it was not there. But then through discussions between um, one of our board directors, Stephen Struble and others, I think he realised that there was a, a larger play there in terms of a battery product using manganese. And more and more, um, it's become apparent that the world needs manganese. And Australia imports somewhere between 50 uh, and 100,000 tonne of manganese each year, uh, mainly for agricultural purposes. But that, that's all export. There's nothing produced in Australia domestically. So there's also an opportunity there that we're, we're sort of thinking about as well. Now, before I wrestled control of the interview back from you earlier on, you were t- talking about the results and the drilling program that you're doing um, at the Jamison Tank in South Australia. Let's go through that again because you actually got some assay results coming out at the end of the month, don't you? Yeah, that's right. So we did a comprehensive explore in 2022, and we, we targeted one of our four manganese prospects uh, that was a six-kilometre section. And we did that from the histor- historical work. We then came back in 2023 and did the northern two-kilometre strike, uh, and that was much more infill drilling to define that resource. And so um, from from a very prospective deposit, yes, we're, we're hoping in the next month to actually announce a maiden mineral resource uh, estimate. Uh, and then we'll quickly follow on the back of that with a scoping study uh, in July. Do you, can you give us an insight into that scoping study? What's it look like at the moment? Yeah, so the scoping study is really the, the key piece that we would otherwise take to the EV um, producers, and, and that that's going to be kicked off in um, July. So really what we want to do there is we want to sort of look at the, the whole backdrop, the mine, the resource, the great ton, tonnage curve, um, and then start to think about the environmental, the heritage, all those sorts of pieces, the process itself, the transit, the shipping. And really that's that's going to be the centrepiece in terms of those discussions with uh, potential EV, um, battery materials, buyers. I've, I've heard you say in the past there is having it, talking about a resource, and then having to pay a lot for it. You've had a really big endorsement recently for the project, haven't you? How does that all tie in? Yeah, so we, we realised that, you know, COVID's taught us one thing and that is, you know, you can have it 
um, and certainly pay for it or, or you simply can't have it. And so the world needs the manganese and, and again, through C4V, you know, that those companies specify qualifying samples. And then once you're, once you're qualified, you can then supply any gigafactory simply on the list. So that's, um, that's pretty positive for, for us. Yeah. Would you like to see more of that in, in Australia? I think we would. And certainly, you know, I think Australia's needed to go just that next step, you know, not too far downstream, but I think maybe one or two steps is, is what we need to do. And Australia's typically not done a lot of high purity. We, we know how to export coal, we know how to export iron ore, but I think that next step and the step beyond is probably where we want to target. So there was a bit of a, a downturn in the prices in the battery space at the start of the year. What's your take on that, especially when you look at the growing demand for those minerals? Yeah, I think if you look at the basket of manganese uh, producers or explorers, you know, they've essentially halved. And I think in retrospect, you know, Chemex has held up quite well in the last 12 months. Um, share price wise and I think that's been a sign of you know the, the integrity of the projects the integrity of the board and, and the overall vision and so I think you know the minerals downturn is a little bit um, you know it's one thing but I think in terms of the batteries you know the nickel the cobalt they're going to remain expensive but I think the key play here is that the manganese is going to make the difference and the reason I, I believe that is because you can actually produce a, a battery for a third of the price that will achieve half the range. And so, you know, once, yeah, it's, it's quite, um, it's not apparent, but when you, when you think about it, if you can pitch a typical family EV, um, within say five or 10 K of, of the normal combustion engine price, I think you'll get a lot of uptake. And the key to that is manganese. So you reduce your nickel, you avoid your cobalt you increase in manganese and you can achieve a battery that is affordable. So what sort of investors does Chemex have? Uh, we've, we've got about 10% held in management. Um, we've got a couple of larger uh, shareholders, one that is Archer, who we bought off uh, the tenements. Um, there's a couple of sort of private um, investments around sort of 20% and then there's, um, there's some institutional fill in there as well. It's it's well spread and I think because of that, it, it's held up pretty well in, in the last 12 months. So, you know, we're we're very blessed with the, the shareholders that we have and I think we've got some, some very good mandate to keep going and, and deliver both uh, the HPA and the HPM successfully. So. Well, I was going to ask you finally, what's the benefit for our stock insiders if they wanted to be an investor with Chemex? I think Chemex is good value at the moment. I think pretty much um, that, that manganese is, is going to be more, it's going to be higher in demand in terms of batteries. Um, the world's going to need that through the energy transition. And I think the the location, the province of South Australia is very avant-garde. You know, uh, in 2021, I think 180 days were supplied 100% by renewables. Uh, and today that figures around 70%. And they're hoping to do that by 2030. So in the backdrop of that, you know, I think with the whole project and the ESG credentials, the big companies need that. And I think that cradle-to-grave approach is going to be more and more important in terms of um, pitching to either private equity or, or large EVs. And I think, you know, Chemex ticks the box, and I think that's that's great. The the whole um, manganese play from, from the very receptive community, the farmers who have been working with us um, side by side, and the township of Wyala and, and all the reagents, I think the ingredients are just there. So I think that's... That's really key. It's exciting times for, for Chemex. I can hear a little bit of excitement creeping into your voice there, Peter. <laughs> 
Thanks for your time today, mate. Chemex COO Peter Lee. Value, potential, the ingredients, two keen targets. And as they move towards reaching their goal to become a sustainable and reliable global supplier of battery minerals in a world where a secure supply chain is becoming more and more valuable, it's a, it's a really big thing. As you heard him say, they listed at 20 cents. They're just under half that now. Lots in the pipeline and lots of solid interest from key parties. Sounds like good value. But obviously, do your own research. I'm Christina Morrissey, and you've been listening to the latest edition of Stock Insiders.